0: At what point can we make fun of our listeners, Dana? That's just what I (laughs) want to know.
1: (laughs) I don't think he's one of our listeners. I think he was commenting about something to somebody else. Oh, well, fuck that guy then. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast, your weekly adventure into the fun and fascinating world of Star Trek, the original series. My name is Dana Smith, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend and fellow Star Trek fan, Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan.
0: Dana, how are you doing this evening?
1: Pretty good. The week's almost half over already and I haven't been to work. So it's it's uh it's good.
0: I, I haven't been to work either, Dana, for like, let's see, four years. <laughs>
1: yeah, that sounds like bragging, Dan. That sounds like bragging.
0: <laughs> Actually I do I do some work. You know, I, I do teach a beer class at the local community college. That doesn't sound like work. <laughs> I mean, I have to write lesson plans and everything.
1: And you're talking about beer and you're drinking beer and sampling beer. and
0: Uh-huh. That's true. We do.
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I can't do that at my job. So.
0: <laughs> you should take the class. I think it'd be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Well, it's online, so I could.
0: Yeah. We do a live online class and, and we Zoom in experts from all over the place and talk about good beer.
1: So now you're doing self-promotion for your next class. <laughs> Dan, you just did, a, speaking of class, you did a hops class.
0: I did, and it's not hopscotch uh, or, you know, hopping around on a pogo stick. God, do you remember pogo sticks?
1: They don't make those anymore, do they?
0: No, because they're, like, dangerous. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, people got seriously hurt on those things.
1: There's a reason why I never had kids. it's <laughs> not for lack of trying. Yeah, but it was that damn pogo stick and... And the uh, bicycle bar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, all those things are bad. But yeah, I went to hop school. So I live in Washington State. Yakima is about two hours from here. Yakima is the largest hop growing region in the world. I'm not going to talk a lot about it because most people find it amazingly boring. However, hops go in beer and make beer good. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the short version, Dana.
1: Well, did you learn a lot? Did you find like you you've expanded your knowledge base?
0: Yes, the answer is yes. Of course, there was a lot of beer drinking that went on, Dana. So not only did I expand my knowledge base, I expanded my pant size as well.
1: <laughs> well, that's great, Dan. So glad you got to do that. I know I, I keep I joke around about it, but uh, you you really have a passion for this, and it's really exciting that you're you continue to learn more about this craft that you were involved in.
0: Yeah, well, I appreciate it, and I appreciate you let me take the time off, boss. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Some of our followers aren't as nice as I am, I'll tell you. They've uh, they've complained a little bit about your excessive absences. So.
0: <laughs> My pay is going to get docked here pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. So Dana, we had quite a few listener comments this week. You want to share some of those with us?
1: To start with, last week's episode was a recap of season two so far. And I put up a picture, some pictures on Facebook, which were uh, an amalgamation of Uh, different scenes from season two so far. Our friend Randall Mannion said, in one of the photos from Amok Time, it appears Kirk encountered the same nipple-munching fish as Dana did. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's where... Kirk's shirt was ripped and it looks like it's right across his nipples that he got uh, bloodied. So, yeah, yeah. It's funny. I didn't think about that until I saw that picture and he, uh, with that comment that he made. So,
0: this is why we have the best podcast listeners in the world, Dana.
1: They pay attention to the details. So, that's true. Somebody needs to in this. So, in regards to our question, what's the best Star Trek series? We did hear uh, through Facebook uh, from Pam McClung. She says, if the original series hadn't been so good, then none of the rest of the franchises would have existed. For me, it's the very best, the heart of all Star Trek that was to come. Seth Mackey said, I love all Trek, but some stand out right from the crowd. Right now, DS9 and SNW, and w which is Strange New Worlds, rank 1 and 1A in my book. TOS is awesome, but it's also a product of its era, which is an era where racism and misogyny were not only common, but widely accepted.
0: Totally true, Dana.
1: We've mentioned that. Paul Carey said Modern Trek is like the android of Roger Corby, saying to Christine, it's still him. He's still the original, and we all know it's not. Yeah, I like the way he put that. That was really, really good. Great analogy. Philip McMullins said TOS first, NG and DS9 tied for second, Voyager third. Too bad they stopped making Star Trek after Enterprise. It's a darn shame. Finally, Chris Decker said... Uh, Nothing compares to TOS, I did not dislike Next Gen, and the first three or four seasons of DS9. I even wrote an episode of DS9, lost it a long time ago, but the idea was good, even if the script writing was pretty weak. Dan, can't wait to talk about the phone messages, but did we get an email?
0: We did. Uh, We got an email from Eric, and he said, First, I want to congratulate you both on a wonderful podcast. The banter and rapport between you both is always entertaining, and there's never a dull moment, even when both of you often segue into a topic that has absolutely nothing to do with Star Trek. I don't know what he's talking about, Dana. That
1: never happens.
0: By the way, is it too late to nickname Dan the Rambler? His theme song could be Ramblin' Man. (laughs) Ramble, do I? Anyway, I listen while I work, and I have averaged three to four episodes per day. Oof. I don't think I could do that, Dana. (laughs) He then goes on to say, My background and knowledge of Star Trek is limited, having mostly only seen the original films and a few episodes. Oddly enough, my first exposure, if you will, to Star Trek was the novelty song Star Trekkin by The Firm. Having listened to your podcast, I'm excited to check out the entire original series. Keep up the great work. Thanks for that email, Eric. And Dana, here's a bit of that song, Star Trekkin by The Firm. You
1: cannot change the laws of physics. Laws of physics. Laws of physics. You change the laws of physics. Laws of physics, Jim. Oh, we canna teach. Shoot to kill. Shoot to kill. Shoot to kill. We canna peace, Shoot to kill. It's
0: worse than that, Jim. That Jim. That Jim. Jim. It's worse than that, Jim. That Jim. Dead Jim. Well, it's life, Jim, but not as we know it. Not as we know it. Not as we know it. It's life, Jim, but not as we know it. Not as we know it, Captain. <laughs>
1: Dan, I saw The Firm with uh, Jimmy Page and Paul Rogers back in the mid-80s, and that's not them.
0: I had never heard this song before. Me either. Well, I'll put the link to the YouTube video in the show notes for people. Dana, we did receive several phone calls this week, six or seven of them, actually. The first was from Bill from Lacey Washington. The audio wasn't so great, so I'm just gonna tell you what he said. He told us, do not, under any circumstances, watch any of the Ilsa She-Wolf films. Bill said they were awful, and if we watch them, we would need to bleach our eyeballs.
1: <laughs> well, he's got no idea of the things that you and I have seen over our years, so... Uh, <laughs> Might seem pretty tame to us. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe.
0: <laughs> I know, but he yeah, he was, he was pretty clear about that. Next, we heard from Lou from Canada. He called about the episode, A Piece of the Action. If you recall, Dana, in that episode, we warned people about listening in their cars as it was dangerous for some people. Here's what Lou had to say.
1: I should point out, I don't
0: uh, have a car anymore. There's no danger of me having any uh, any accidents. I am I'm on my couch doing that, and I should point out, without pants, I don't think you should read anything into that. But uh, accidents can still happen.
1: <laughs> so I think we need another PSA announcement about uh, listening to us on your couch without pants on. <laughs> <That's it.
0: laughs> That was funny though.
1: Yeah, at least need a PSA announcement for us that we don't need to find out that people are sitting on their couch without pants on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Zach O'Donnell, he wins the award, Dana, for calling us the most times in a row. He called us four times in a row. But it was only because he had, like, maybe forgotten a little something to say in the previous phone call. And so it was really great. And he told us that he almost had another kind of accident while listening to the podcast.
1: I almost uh, fell off my treadmill during one of your podcasts because I started laughing so much when I was jogging. It's hard enough for me to jog. And I'm breathing extremely hard. And then if you try to laugh when you're doing that, that's a real problem. Sounds like we're helping him with his workout, Dan.
0: (laughs) Dana, Zach also answered the question about which iteration of Star Trek is the best, that question that you posed the other week. And this is what he said about why Star Trek, the original series, is the best.
1: I think there are a couple of reasons, but the primary reason is it focuses on the relationship between the main characters and that makes the show different. It's not just a science fiction show. It's a show about people working together to solve problems. And that's the primary reason why it's a, I think it's the best show. I agree with what he said, Dan. I think that uh, it's character-driven and it's really about uh, the humanity that these characters have.
0: A new caller, Tiny Wanda, called to also say why Star Trek, the original series, was the best series. Here's what they had to say.
1: Hi, this is Tiny Wanda, and uh, my vote is for the original series because uh, what apparently most people don't realize is that it was not a science fiction show, but a fantasy show. And uh, also the lighting and the music and the uh, absolute
0: wonderful cheesy special effects i think that's it thank you
1: another good point dan
0: dana finally our good friend cindy from illinois also called here is what she had to say hey i just want to call to say that i love your podcast and i'm sure like many people sometimes i love your podcast more than i love star trek keep up the good work love you guys talk to you soon bye Oh, Cindy also asked us if we saw any similarities between Star Trek and the show Friends. I was never a Friends watcher. Were you,
1: Dana? No, never really got into it.
0: So, Cindy, no, we got no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Dana we had more calls than we had time to put into our podcast this week I know it's shocking but this is the first time it happened and it's absolutely true but we are really appreciating everyone who calls and please keep doing so we love hearing from you once again the number is 509-676-6298 I'll also put that in the show notes and once again thanks for all the calls and comments Don't forget, this damn it gym podcast is sponsored by PhotoBucket. Photobucket is an American company with over 100 million registered members and hosts over 10 billion images.
1: Dan, we know that our listeners of our show have a lot of Star Trek memorabilia, pictures and videos, including some vintage images that they they would hate to lose. Like a lot of people, I've lost a lot of pictures. With Photobucket, I know where my pictures are. Keeping my memory safe and secure was important to me, Dan.
0: I heard a rumor, Dana, that our promo with Photobucket is not ending this week week
1: dan because of our growing popularity the offer is continuing on through september and october now
0: what do our listeners need to do to get that free month
1: when you sign up for PhotoBucket, put in the code damn it jim and you will receive one month free it's that easy
0: so beam yourself up to PhotoBucket today and start preserving and sharing your star trek memories like never before visit photobucket.com now and unlock a universe of possibilities
1: Dan, this week we're discussing the immunity syndrome. So we start off with the captain's log, star date 4307.1 approaching Starbase 6 for a much needed period of rest and recreation. We see Kirk on the bridge and next to him is Dr. McCoy as he goes on with the log saying, the crew has performed excellently but is exhausted and I too am looking forward to a nice period of rest on some lovely, and a yeoman walks by him and he kind of follows her and he says planet
0: my god dana
1: i've seen this episode more than a few times in my lifetime i never paid attention to the, how sexist that was wow i was stunned
0: yeah i'd say that may be the most overtly sexist comment that we've seen since season one even
1: so you heard reports that you got a call from starbase six that is garbled she says it's about the intrepid and mccoy comments that the intrepid is manned only by vulcans just then spock is over at his science station spock looks up i look looks like somebody goosed him uh he, he just looks stunned kirk and mccoy go to him mccoy asks if he's if spock is in pain and spock says the intrepid just died 400 vulcans aboard all dead and you hurry gets through to starbase 6 and the voice from starbase 6 orders the enterprise to go directly to the gamma 7a system in sector 39j they state that they have lost all contact with the intrepid as they lay a course for The Gamma 7a system, Chekhov, says that Gamma 7a is dead. So Kirk says that's impossible. It's a fourth magnitude sun, and there are billions of inhabitants there. Chekhov responds, it is dead.
0: What's a fourth magnitude sun? I've got no clue what that is. I mean, it's probably between a third and a fifth, but I don't even know if that's true.
1: The brightest stars in our, sky, in our sky are first magnitude, and the very dimmest stars visible to the eye alone are sixth magnitude. So second magnitude is modestly bright, but it's fainter than a first magnitude star, and a fifth magnitude star is pretty faint.
0: So what magnitude was this one again? I've already forgotten.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> fourth Fourth. Okay. So go to sickbay, and Spock assures McCoy he is okay. And McCoy is looking at the readout and says he can't trust the crazy Vulcan readings on his system. And McCoy asks how he can be certain about the intrepid dying, adding, I thought you had to be in physical contact with someone. And Spock says, even as a half Vulcan. He could hear the death screams of 400 Vulcans dying. So McCoy seems unable to believe Spock, and he says, But 400 Vulcans?
0: I've noticed that about your people, Doctor. You find it easier to understand the death of one than the death of a million. You speak about the objective hardness of the Vulcan heart, yet how little room there seems to be in yours.
1: Wow. I think I rewound that two, three times. Fantastic line. All Spock needed to do was like a mic drop at the end. Wow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That was a great piece of writing right there, Dana.
1: Yeah. So it's obvious this wasn't the same person who wrote uh, The Gamesters of Triskelion.
0: Or The Alternative Factor.
1: So Spock returns to the bridge, and Kyle reports that the deflector shield snapped on. Spock goes to a science station and says, Indications of energy turbulence ahead. And he says, I've never encountered readings like this before. And they turn on the viewer screen and see what looks like a black spot on the screen. Chekhov says, perhaps it is an interstellar dust cloud.
0: It looked more to me like, I don't know, a huge bug like got smashed on the windshield of the Enterprise.
1: Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. See the wipers come on and move it off.
0: <laughs> First, it would just spread it. You know you know yeah. how you get those bugs
1: that... Oh, yeah. They smear. Just smear. Yeah. What's really cool, though, is if you get a lightning bug and you smear it and then you've got like this light show going on right in front of you. <laughs>
0: And for people who don't live in the part of the country with lightning bugs or fireflies, like here in the West, we don't have them. But in Illinois, you know, where I grew up, we'd see them all the time. I miss them. I love lightning bugs.
1: Oh, yeah. And you'd always catch them in a jar. Yeah. And you put like grass in there and stuff for them. And then the next day they'd be dead and you couldn't figure out why. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, and do you remember in the back of comic books, there was like someone doing a study and you would catch lightning bugs and freeze them and then you would mail them in? At least that's what they said in these comic books. Now, whether that was really <laughs> what they were doing, I have no clue. You must have read different comic books than I did. Mine,
1: <laughs> mine were all the uh, x-ray vision glasses. Oh, God, and yes. The, uh, how to like uh, gain muscle mass in like two weeks time. Did
0: you ever send in for those x-ray
1: glasses? No, my, you know, I mean, uh, they were like more than a buck. I think they were like $3 or something (laughs) like that. And I just like, Couldn't scrape that much money together. Remember there's the seahorses too? Oh, yes.
0: Yeah. And they look like they had, you know, like they were alive, like people, you know, (laughs) living in their undersea (laughs) garden.
1: Yeah. One of uh, my neighbor kid that was like a year older than me got those. What he told me is that they, they're little tiny seahorses, really tiny. Mm -hmm. He says, and then they mature, they kind of turn into larvae kind of thing. And then they become mosquitoes and fly out of the the water.
0: (laughs) And then they got to drive that freaking truck down the street to, you know, kill this crazy mosquito infestation. No one knows where they're coming from.
1: <laughs> but it gave us a chance to run behind the DDT truck. So it was all worthwhile.
0: Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what's in comic books now. I mean, if that's what they had 50 years ago, which is really difficult for me to even say that sentence.
1: Wow. When you said that, I was like, wow, you are so old. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, we're about the same age. But I wonder what's in there now. I did get uh, Little Soldiers set Mm -hmm. one time. I mean, but they were like really little. like an inch tall.
0: This is not a ramble, right, Dana? Just to make it clear.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. What were we talking about? (laughs) I think we need to add something to the ramble jar.
0: Okay. Yeah, you're right. God, we haven't taken it out in a while, have we? All right, I'll get the ramble jar out. We'll put some in right now. I'm going to toss them in right now, Dana.
1: Okay. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. So I looked up interstellar dust cloud. Oh, okay. It is a real thing. Really? Yeah. There's a few different explanations about it. It's dust particles actually forms a nebula. Wow. So there's, you know, different types of nebulas. But what's a nebula? It's an interstellar fucking dust cloud. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> Didn't I just explain that? <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are all nebulae interstellar dust clouds? I don't think so. So if it's not, what is it then?
1: It's time to move on. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on. (laughs) Kirk says you could see through a dust cloud. So they slow to warp one, and Kirk orders Chekhov to launch a telemetry probe into the heart of that thing. They launch the probe, and then there's a loud, strange sound that hurts everyone's ears. Some are grabbing their ears. I was just going to say, it's funny, because Kirk kind of, like, steps out of his chair, and he's not grabbing his ears. He just looks like he's in pain.
0: Yeah. What part of his body was that sound impacting? Like, his ass? I mean...
1: (laughs) When the uh, sound fades away, Chekhov moans and holds his head. Uhura gets up from her chair and nearly faints. Then McCoy calls and says, "I'm getting calls from every deck. Half the crew just fainted." In the background, sickbay, we see uh, Nurse Chapel administering shots with the hypo, not the uh, not the shot glass. <laughs> and. Uh... <laughs> And crew members are looking unsteady and weak. Now, my only thing was that happened really fast.
0: Really fast.
1: People must have been sprinting to get to the sick bay. <laughs>
0: By the way, sorry, another ramble. When you were in like second grade, did they do like group immunizations at your school? Yeah. The reason I ask is because they used like a gun. It totally reminded me of kind of like the Star Trek thing. I mean, it hurt.
1: Was that the polio? No, polio was on the tongue.
0: I don't remember which one it was, Dana, but it was, you know, you'd get there, they'd have that gun thing and pull your sleeve up.
1: Oh, the good old days.
0: (laughs) Maybe there's a doctor out there. They can. Oh, wait a second. My wife's a doctor. (laughs) She stays as far away from me as possible while I'm doing this podcast, Dana.
1: If I was her, that'd be a general rule.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) So we need to make it clear. These are stimulants, right, that they're giving the crew.
1: So Kirk goes to Spock and asks for an update on that thing. Spock says, no analysis due to insufficient information. So Kirk uh, rubs his face and says he's really tired. Then he asks Spock to tell him, what it is not. And Spock replies, it is not liquid, gaseous, or solid, despite the fact we cannot see through it.
0: Okay, so that's really, really helpful. Like, that is the most (laughs) helpful description that I've heard ever.
1: (laughs) And Kirk says, that's not much help. And Spock says, it is not a galactic nebula, such as a coal sack. I'm sorry, Dana, what kind of sack was it? A coal sack. Oh, not a ball sack. (laughs) I think you're thinking of the uh, writer balzac
0: yeah which i always thought was funny whenever i had a class and <laughs> you had to talk about balzac and i was like mm, yeah that professor put that in there just to use the word balzac
1: yeah and i did not look up what a coal sack is
0: yeah well actually it is a dark nebula that is visible to the naked eye as a dark patch in the milky way did you know there's something called the dark doodad nebula
1: Yeah, you know, scientists run out of names <laughs> and so i'm sure like uh yeah doodad let's
0: call it that i'm looking dark doodad because that cannot be real <laughs> (laughs) Right? The dark dunad? There
1: is a dark dunad, Nebula. Dana? (laughs) See the things we learned on this show? Totally. So Kirk tells you her to contact Starfleet and let them know they're going to probe that thing. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Dana. (laughs) She's like, what? What was that again? (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm tired, but can you repeat yourself? So Spock looks concerned by this idea (laughs) because he looked like he had been probed earlier. (laughs) <laughs> so kirk stumbles and nearly falls but he holds up a hand to let everyone know he's okay then he orders to move closer on impulse power then that sound happens again Chekhov and kyle seem terribly affected and when the sound fades there are no stars in front of them
0: they also cut from this scene while the ship is being tossed about to sick bay, right? Yeah. And McCoy and Chapel have been thrown into each other and they're kind of, you know, flailing about sick bay. But that scene, if you've ever seen some of the outtakes from Star Trek, that scene is where DeForest Kelly grabs Majel Barrett's breasts and he's like dancing and fondling them and, she's, and he's standing behind her and she's laughing hysterically. And that's in the outtakes if you ever get a chance to see those. Wow. You can Google the outtakes, and you can find them on YouTube, and that's one of the most famous ones, yeah.
1: Kirk calls McCoy and asks for help on the bridge to keep people from folding. McCoy says he'll be right up. McCoy comes on the bridge with a blonde assistant now, so the two of them start giving the stimulant shots. Did, hold on, did you notice they didn't even ask, Dana? Oh, no, they're just going around jabbing people on the shoulder, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So when Kirk asks how bad it is. McCoy says two thirds of the personnel are affected. Why don't they get the one third up on the bridge? You
0: know <laughs> That's <laughs> a good point. Yeah.
1: Just then, one of the crewmen—it's Lieutenant Leslie—back from the dead, having died in the obs- in obsession. <laughs> <laughs> He passed out behind them and he's kind of like in the background and they pick him up and put him back in his chair. Now this thing is just like wolf in the fold. I thought he was dead. And they just, you know, that's, that's what they do is just put the person back in the chair and pretend they're working. Prop him up. He's still getting a paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> <You> know, <that's, laughs> So Kirk says to McCoy, the ship is in trouble and we better start having some answers. Then he asked Spock for analysis on the sound that they encountered. And Spock says that sound was turbulence caused by the penetration boundary layer, Captain. So, Dane, I, I counted. <laughs> okay.
0: They used the word penetration three times in this episode. Three times. At least three times.
1: Wow. Kirk says boundary layer between what and what? And Spock says...
0: Between where we were and where we are. Are you trying to be funny, Mr. Spock? It would never occur to me, Captain.
1: And I thought Kirk was going to smack him.
0: He should have, because with that
1: stimulant, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and Kirk realizes that Spock is incapable of, of joking, and so he presses him for any ideas. And Spock says, we still have no specifics, but we seem to have entered a zone of energy, which is incompatible with our living and mechanical processes. So Kirk asks for recommendations, and McCoy comes up to them and says, I have one. I recommend survival. So Kirk kind of looks at him and McCoy walks off and Kirk goes to the command chair and he hits a button and says, this is the captain. We're on a difficult mission, but it's not the first time. Our orders do not say stay alive or retreat. Our mission is to investigate. In other words, shut the fuck up, McCoy. If I want your opinion, I'll beat it out of you.
0: (laughs) You know, it is kind of funny. He could have just said something to McCoy like, you know, our mission is to, you know. But yet, he humiliates him in front of everyone on the bridge because everyone on the bridge heard that conversation. Oh, yeah. You know, the people on the ship may not know the exact context, but everyone on the bridge does.
1: I'm surprised he didn't start off with, as our good friend Dr. McCoy has said, (laughs) you know. (laughs) We see Kirk walk into engineering, and suddenly the ship is rocked, and we hear loud banging noises. Scotty says he was trying to recalibrate, and suddenly they went into reverse. Just there's got to be a gear shift, or it's just, you know, forward, reverse. (laughs) 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 And Kirk argues that the lurch was a forward thrust, and he goes, trust me, I know about forward (laughs) thrusts. Spock calls from the bridge and says they are being pulled forward into the center of the zone of darkness. So Spock recommends using reverse power and Kirk says we tried that and we lurch forward. Spock says in that case I recommend we try forward thrust.
0: So Dana, while the enterprise is trying to break free of this unique entity, we wanted to remind our listeners that photo Bucket is the one source you need for all your special images.
1: PhotoBucket also has a print shop. You can order prints on canvas. Not only that, you can do photo albums, greeting cards, and picture enlargements. How about wall calendars? Peel and stick prints? All the above, Dan. Photobucket really is the one source for all your photo needs.
0: Maybe Kirk would like to make a calendar of all those interesting aliens they've met.
1: He would have calendars
0: and canvas prints. He would not risk losing any of those precious images, Dana. Why would anyone risk it? Especially when Photobucket is offering $5 for a terabyte of storage. Kirk has met a lot of aliens. Speaking of which, what's going on in bay? <music>
1: In sickbay, we see Chapel standing by a patient and says, uh, life indicators are dropping again. McCoy looks frazzled and says, I don't know how long we can keep this up. An engineering Kirk asks Scotty to give them forward thrust. Scotty says, I don't know. It goes against the rules of logic. That was good. That one was good. And Scotty uh, applies forward thrust and says, we're slowing down, but we're not stopping. In the conference room, there's uh, senior officers are reporting. McCoy says the further we go into this dark field, the weaker our life functions become. Kirk wonders if it's a shield. He orders Scotty to channel all the power into a massive thrust forward. And Scotty says, I'll save a little for the deflector shields. And Spock says, I submit, Mr. Scott, that if we do not get out, the shields would be extraneous. It would only prolong our wait for death by a short period of time spock's kind of a downer kirk agrees with spock and says use whatever power you need to get us out everyone leaves but spock and he says the intrepid would have done these things too and yet they were destroyed he goes on to say that uh, Vulcan has never been conquered. No Vulcan can conceive of a conqueror. Dana, Spock says Vulcan was never conquered, though. You and I are on the same page here, Dan. McCoy said in an
0: earlier episode... I think it was Conscience of the King, because it was about the drinking or something, right?
1: Yeah, because McCoy was asking him to have a drink, and Spock said he didn't drink. And then he says, now I know why your people were conquered. That's it, Yeah. Next thing we see is Scotty working away in engineering. He calls up to the bridge and says he's ready to try it. Kirk notifies the crew of what they're trying to do. and They push ahead and the ship is rocked hard. Here's one of the times where everybody's on the bridge, McCoy and everything. McCoy looks like he's trying to do like a go-go dance or something he's just like (laughs) twisting
0: (laughs) they're flying all over the place again
1: yeah everybody else is like flying around so scotty says it's no good the best we can do is maintain thrust to hold our position then he estimates that they have about two hours left so dan the clock is ticking it's ticking once again so kirk turns to spock and asks have you figured this thing out yet and spock says i cannot say what it is but i would say it has found us he looks at the main viewer and we see something like a giant amoeba at the center of the darkness It is multicolored with one dark spot so they launch a probe at it the probe enters the thing and the ship is rocked slightly spock starts reading off data from the probe everyone stares at it as if they cannot believe it is alive spock says that is what is pulling us forward McCoy suggests that they launch a shuttlecraft into it to learn more about it. Kirk says he's not sending anyone out there. It's a suicide mission. McCoy says that he could do it, and Spock says, "You have a martyr complex, Doctor." <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Spock states that he should go. Kirk says he will decide, and they only have 1 hour and 35 minutes left.
0: I didn't know McCoy could fly a shuttlecraft.
1: I had that same question. Okay. Cuz he's never offered to take over a shuttlecraft. He's never acted like he could fly a shuttlecraft ever seen him in anything but a passenger seat and anywhere on the ship so later in kirk's quarters he's recording his uh personal log and restating that uh what has transpired and wondering which one of his friends he will send to that giant amoeba he calls spock and mccoy to his quarters so mccoy and spock come into uh, kirk's room there was like a little doorbell type thing
0: why don't they just walk right in like always
1: <laughs> kirk probably had a doorbell installed Kirk says, I'm sorry, Mr. Spock. You are the best qualified to go. And McCoy looks quite dejected. So next we see uh, Spock and McCoy walking down the corridor. And Spock says, do not suffer so, doctor. This is not the first time superior capability has proven more valuable than professional credentials. Oh, God, that was just a slam. And did I mention I can pilot the shuttlecraft? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Spock reminds him it's not a competition. Whether you understand it or not. Grant me my own kind of dignity.
0: Falcon dignity? How can I grant you what I don't understand? Then employ one of your own superstitions. Wish me luck.
1: Spock exits and walks out to the shuttlecraft, which is the Galileo. And after Spock is aboard, McCoy says, good luck. Yeah, that was kind of poignant, I thought, Dana. Yeah, I, I liked it. The shuttlecraft launches. Inside, we see a big machine uh, behind Spock's seat. And there also seems to be one of those pegboards blocking off the back half of the shuttle, so I was wondering if he's going to like hang tools on it. <laughs> I, I was reading something. It's like the last time that we see inside the shuttlecraft. Well, that's probably why, because it looks stupid. Spock reports that the power drain is enormous, and Scotty says he won't have enough power to get back to the ship, and Spock prepares to enter the amoeba. As he does, the shuttlecraft is rocked, and he falls out of the chair. Well, ho- ho- hold,
0: on. hold on a second dana spock's taking the shuttlecraft into the creature and he warns the enterprise by saying
1: brace yourselves the area of penetration will no doubt
0: be sensitive (laughs) i mean i know my middle school mind just goes to you know the worst possible interpretation of that dana but come on the writers had to know right
1: (laughs) Oh, I'm sure they were having fun with this, yeah.
0: And this was the third time they used penetration, so, you know, you know they're having a good time with it.
1: Kirk calls for Spock and Spock answers after a moment saying he's alive. Then he says, oh, and Dr. McCoy, you would not have survived it. He's getting
0: slammed in this episode.
1: So Spock says he's approaching the nucleus. We see Spock make an adjustment on the controls, and the controls, I don't know if you notice this, Dan, as he's moving them, they're wood handles. It's nice to know that in the uh, 23rd century, they're still using in wood on board uh, spaceships.
0: Well, it seems like in luxury cars, right? They've got wooden accents. So maybe you're right. Maybe maybe it's all about the luxury of the thing.
1: Yeah, it would have been nice if there was like, you know, fur on the ceiling. Of, you know, the. <laughs> <laughs> so Chekhov reports that uh, Spock reduced life support to the bare minimum. Spock is able to identify the chromosome structure. He says the entity has stored enough energy for reproduction to commence. And then McCoy uh, leans in and says, according to Spock's telemetry information, there are over 40 chromosomes in the nucleus that are ready to come together, ready to reproduce.
0: I took biology in high school, Dana. I mean, the whole chromosome thing, and is it the number? And by a certain number, you can tell that something's ready to reproduce. I mean, how does that all work?
1: Would you be able to see chromosomes? (laughs) I don't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the thing is so huge that maybe the chromosomes are big or something i have no idea i thought that amoebas amoeba i thought that they split isn't that what they do? that's where we're going Eric. i guess what i'm showing is my complete ignorance of biology right now that's what that's what i'm showing did you ever watch the marx brothers oh yeah
1: and duck soup he's uh trying to explain something to somebody he's like a boy of five years old could understand this and then he turns to his sister and says give me a boy of five and have him explain this to me <laughs> that's
0: that's <laughs> totally what i am in this situation <laughs>
1: So Kirk says, if the energy of that organism only doubles, we're dead, and everything within a light year will be defenseless. McCoy says, those things will reproduce, and then there will be enough to devastate the entire galaxy. Kirk says, Spock understood when he transmitted the coordinates of the chromosomes. We must destroy that organism. And I asked the question, has anyone tried communicating? I didn't hear him go, you know, hi, we're friendly... You're, you just swallowed, you know, a whole sector. Maybe this is a misunderstanding.
0: Maybe we can work it out. No. No.
1: Nope. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, ah, it's a terrible thing. Let's go kill it.
0: And, and immediately they call it a virus, which, you know, is kind of a value judgment, Dana.
1: Yeah. Would you want to be called a virus?
0: No. Yeah, see? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Maybe it's hearing this and it's got its feelings hurt. Sure. Scotty reports that the pull from the organism is increasing and the power drain from our shields is getting critical. They only have a half hour left.
0: But I do have a question. If it's the dark zone... How can we see the enterprise in there if there's no light? I guess just a blank screen would be kind of boring to look at. It would have saved him on special effects, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, the whole second half of the show. is just, you know, can't see the outside of the enterprise. So you heard reports. Uh, they got a message from Spock. Do you hear Spock's voice and he reports he is losing life support? Tell Dr. McCoy he should have wished me luck.
0: See that actually was pretty poignant that part again.
1: Yeah. Okay, so the next thing we see is Kirk and his quarters, uh, McCoy enters and says he can't help but believe that Spock is alive out there. Then Kirk asks what is that thing out there? And McCoy states it's a disease like a virus attacking the galaxy. And then Kirk gets an idea. He says this thing, when it grows into millions will be the virus invading its body. McCoy says, now isn't that a thought? Here we are antibodies of our own galaxy attacking an invading germ. Kirk says antibodies, antibodies. Kirk calls to Scotty and asks to divert the power to the shields and stop using the thrust. Scotty says, we'll be pulled right into it. And Kirk says, exactly. So back on the bridge, Kirk warns the crew that they're going to enter the body of the organism. He didn't say penetrate.
0: Yeah, I think at that point, like the sensors are like, look, you guys, you get three (laughs) penetrations per episode and then you got to stop.
1: Yeah, and you get so many thrusts as well. Yeah, (laughs) Right, exactly. They go into the organism and everyone is thrown around on the bridge. And once again, McCoy's kind of like at the railing. And he goes, kind of spin right, spin back left, spin right, (laughs) spin back left. You know, Yuhura, I thought, did a good job. And Chekhov looked like, you know, he was being tossed around. Somebody goes like flying in the background.
0: Yes. Yeah. Did you notice too, in earlier in the episode, when in engineering, when they're all being thrown about and one guy falls from the upper level down to the, it was great.
1: (laughs) So they get through. And Scotty says, we only have 26% power left. Scotty says, we can't use power to destroy it. And Kirk says, anti-power, anti-matter. Kirk orders a probe with a magnetic bottle for the charge. Is that like a new Coke bottle they got in the 23rd century? And <laughs> magnetic? You can just stick it on the dashboard of your spaceship.
0: Sure. So when everything else is flying around, that sticks.
1: <laughs> yeah, because you don't have seatbelts, but that stays. Yeah, you don't spill your Coke.
0: I mean, that's, that's really difficult to get out of the, out of the equipment.
1: So we see Spock in the shuttle as he records a personal log. He's uh, saying he's noted the passage of the Enterprise on its way to whatever awaits. I wish it known that I bequeath my highest commendation and testimonial to the captain,
0: officers, and crew of the Enterprise,
1: the finest starship in the fleet. On the Enterprise, Kirk is making his own log. I wish to record my recommendations for the following personnel, that they receive special citation, Lieutenant Commander Leonard McCoy, Lieutenant Commander Montgomery Scott, Officers Chekhov, Kyle, Uhura, and my highest commendation for Commander Spock, science officer, who gave his life and the performance of his duty.
0: Well, I really like that whole speech, but I do have a bit of a complaint. Shatner does not say Kyle, and he hasn't said it throughout the entire show right and this is the most blatant one i think
1: it's like he says cowl
0: he says cowl so dana we're not the only ones who can't get pronunciation correct i mean even shatner who like has probably called him kyle in many other episodes every time in this one he calls him Kyle.
1: every time he would say it i would stop the show and be like what would he say probably thought he was a different character this week yeah exactly So Chekhov reports they're ready to launch the probe. Then they launch the probe. Chekhov reports the probe is embedded in the nucleus. So they start backing away on impulse power. But Dan, they've been all this time being pulled closer and closer. Now they're able to back away?
0: I know. I don't get it either. Just want to make sure I hadn't missed something. No, I I don't think you did. Or we both did.
1: As they are backing away, the sensors spot a metallic object, which they realize is a shuttlecraft. Kirk orders tractor beams on the shuttlecraft, and Scotty about shits his pants. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, the margin of time is too narrow. He don't stand a fucking chance anyways. Let him go. (laughs)
0: That would be great if he would have said that.
1: <laughs> I'm telling you, Captain, he's just a pain in the ass as it is.
0: <laughs> and of course, like, yeah, yeah, I agree with Scotty on this one. <laughs> yeah.
1: So Kirk orders it, anyways, and Spock calls the ship and suggests they not waste time trying to rescue him. So McCoy says, Shut up, Spock. We're trying to rescue you. And Spock says, Why? Thank you, Captain McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> Good line. And Kyle reports they're almost outside the membrane. And Kirk asks if they still have the tractor beam on the shuttlecraft. And Scotty says, yes, but the power levels are dead, sir. Just then an explosion rocks the ship. So we see Spock and the shuttlecraft get thrown out onto the floor once again. Once the ship stops shaking, the screen shows stars. Chekov reports the organism is destroyed, sir. Kirk asks about the shuttlecraft and Scotty says, I don't know how, but she's still with us. Spock hails the ship and requests permission to come aboard. Kirk happily says,
0: Spock, you're alive. Obviously, Captain. And I have some fascinating data on the organism.
1: And we see the shuttlecraft landing. And Kirk says, Mr. Chekhov, laying a course for Starbase 6. A female yeoman hands him one of those tablets to ride on. He signs it and looks at her. He says to McCoy, I'm still looking forward to a nice period of rest and relaxation on some lovely... And he looks at her again planet.
0: Wow, it ended exactly as it started, Dana, with that really bad bad line.
1: But that's how the show ends, Dan.
0: Dana, you wanted to talk a little bit about how they made this optical
1: effect of the space amoeba. Yeah, Dan, the uh, optical effects were created by Frank Vanderveer of Vanderveer Photo Effects. The amoeba itself was a mixture of liquids pressed between two thin sheets of glass. As the sheets were moved, the liquid would flow as if the amoeba was pulsating. I don't know if you, when you were in high school and did biology, you had to put like drops on a slide and you'd slide them together. If you looked underneath, you could see the liquid moving around. I think that's what they did with this. It turned out really cool. Yeah, I thought it was really cool, too. I thought it was very well done. Dan, you got any themes or dilemmas for this
0: episode? The thing that stood out for me, Dana, was sacrificing oneself for friends or humanity. It seems to be a recurring theme in Star Trek and in some of the movies as well. That one really jumped out. And and the people who were willing to do that, obviously Spock, willing to go into the amoeba on a suicide mission. McCoy had offered himself up, and Kirk offered the entire ship to do the same thing as part of like their mission. So that was the big one for me. What about a dilemma or theme for you?
1: Something that came up in here, uh, maybe I'm reaching, but I was thinking are we antibodies in the universe as far as the Star Trek universe goes? Uh, Are they basically fighting infections of of conflict and aggression wherever they go?
0: That is a good one, Dana. Yeah, I like that. Dana, what was one of the best parts of this episode for
1: you? We kind of touched on this, Dan, a non-human enemy. You know, not your standard Star Star Trek Alien, and I really like that. How about a best part for you?
0: We just talked about it, the amoeba, and how they did that special effect. I thought it was really, really cool.
1: Neat effect. I mean, pretty simple in its way, but uh, really a neat effect.
0: How about another best part for you?
1: Spock didn't have all the answers. There's gonna be things in there where he, like he said, that they've never come upon this before, and the computer has nothing to base its analysis off of. So I, th- I thought that was really good. Dan, do you have another best part?
0: Yeah, Dan, Spock has a line that, for me, is one of the best lines so far in all the episodes that we've seen, where he says, I've noticed that about your people, Doctor. You find it easier to understand the death of one than the death of a million. That was like just a wow moment for me, Dana. How about another best part for you, Dana?
1: We've seen the little rivalry between uh, Spock and McCoy. And sometimes we think uh, McCoy doesn't like Spock. But in this, he actually shows genuine concern for Spock. And uh, and I really liked seeing that. Dana, how about a worst part for you? Well, when the ship gets rocked, people react differently. Some are thrown around and others just get kind of jostled in their seats. There should be like a ship rocking guide. <laughs> <laughs> This is a medium shake. This is a large shake. Yeah, you'd be thrown out of your chair. There just needs some coordination on there. Yeah, it just kind of bothered me. It stu- stood out because it happened like three, four times. How about a worse part for you, Dan? Exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> exactly
0: the same, Dana. Yeah, how about another worst part for you?
1: Spock was the logical choice to go into the entity. I don't know why Kirk had to spend time thinking about it. Uh, McCoy was needed on the ship. As far as I know, he's not known for piloting anything. Right. Never piloted a Shuttlecraft that we've seen. Do you have another worst part, Dan?
0: Dana, we've already mentioned this a couple times, but the opening line and the ending line of the show, where Kirk is ogling a female crew member, it's just—it's just so bad, just so bad, Dana. So, Dana, what happened on this day in history?
1: Dan, this was uh, released on January nineteenth, nineteen sixty-eight. The number one song in the U.S. was "Judy in Disguise" by John Fred and the Playboys. The number one song in the U.K. was "The Ballad of Bonnie and Clyde" by Georgia Fame. In another site, they said it was still uh, Hello Goodbye by the Beatles. So Dan, also on this date, uh, I've heard of these things and I, I never really read about it, but Operation Crosstie, Project Faultless, an experiment to see if an earthquake could be triggered by detonating an underground nuclear weapon along a fault line. <laughs> like that does not sound like a good idea, Dana. <laughs> After the residents of the closest towns to the Central Nevada test site, Tonopah and Eureka, Nevada, were briefed about what to expect, an atomic bomb was detonated in Nye County at a depth of 3,200 feet. The blast, described by the Atomic Energy Commission as being one megaton, was believed to be the most powerful nuclear weapon ever exploded in the, in the United States and caused upheavals and dropping of the ground in a wide area, breaking Windows 87 miles away at a high school in Ely, because of the surface damage, the test site would eventually be declared unsuitable.
0: For like anything, forever?
1: (laughs) That's what I think unsuitable means in their (laughs) subtle way. Yeah. According to reports the next day, buildings swayed in Salt Lake City and San Francisco. The tremor caused by the blast was estimated by the University of California at Berkeley to be 6.0 on the Richter scale. That's a WTF, damn!
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm almost speechless, you know? So of all the ideas that these nuclear scientists would be thinking about, right? Nuclear weapon scientists. It's like, hey, we've blown up enough of these things now. Let's see if we can trigger an earthquake. That sounds fun.
1: Yeah, let's do it along a fault line and see if we can trigger it because what's the worst that could happen <laughs> we actually create an earthquake that actually destroys cities and towns and swallows up a whole state
0: <laughs> my god do you think they paid for the damage yeah no <laughs> it was a the government they're probably like hey that's just how it goes
1: yeah that's your tax dollars at work <laughs>
0: Wow, I had never heard that. That is insane.
1: Also on this date, uh, U.S. President Johnson completed the installation of a tape recording system in the cabinet room of the White House to preserve his discussions and meetings with the leaders of government departments that comprise the presidential cabinet and other advisors. Now, this is not the same recording device that was in the Oval Office that uh, Nixon used.
0: Yeah, I wonder if they talked about the earthquake.
1: A couple quick notes on January 22nd, Rowan and Martin's laughing, which would become the number one rated television show in the United States by its second season was launched as a weekly program on NBC.
0: Nixon appeared on that, didn't he? Yeah. In fact, he said, socket it to me. Yep. Yeah. It didn't go well for him.
1: <laughs> John Wayne uh, appeared uh, with uh, Tiny Tim.
0: Really? What wonder if he's related to Tiny Wanda.
1: So, Also on January 22nd, uh, Apollo 5 was launched as an unmanned mission to test the lunar module that would take two astronauts from orbit to the lunar surface and then back again for return to Earth. The LM2 was loaded without its landing gear into the nose cone of the Saturn 1B rocket and was sent up from Cape Kennedy at 5.48 p.m. local time. Before we get to the count stand, we want to once again thank our sponsor, PhotoBucket. PhotoBucket, where memories come alive, the go-to platform for all your
0: photo and video sharing needs.
1: So whether you're a dedicated Trekkie or just discovering the wonders of the Star Trek universe, tune in to the Dammit Jim podcast and let Photobucket help you capture the essence of your own interstellar journey.
0: Every picture and video you take today is a memory you'll treasure tomorrow. That's something Photobucket takes seriously and what makes Photobucket different.
1: Remember, use the code DAMMITJIM for a free month of Photobucket when you sign up. Dan, should we move on to the counts? Yeah, let's do that, Dana. What do we have for the dead crewmen this week? It seems to me like all the throwing around and everything that happened, somebody had to have died on the ship.
0: Especially that guy who fell from like the second story in engineering. Yeah. Why is that guy not dead?
1: But nobody says, you know, we've got two crewmen dead or we've got, you know, somebody sort of dead or anything.
0: I was kind of hoping Leslie was dead, but that wasn't the case, Dana. So we were, (laughs) we struck out again this week.
1: So we're stuck at 44, Dan.
0: How about the shirtless Kirk, rip shirt, Kirk count?
1: It wasn't even anything close. Although we were twice in his uh, quarters. And I thought, you know, once we would get him without a shirt, we're still stuck at 15. All right. The he's dead count? Is it me or was I wanting to hear this? Didn't Scotty say like, you know, we've lost him or something? like that talking about spock it doesn't count anyway so i was i was just reaching
0: so zero this week
1: and we're stuck at 12
0: i'm a doctor not a fill in the blank
1: not a shuttle pilot (laughs) that's what i was thinking too That's zero for this week. We're stuck at eight. The supreme being count. The giant amoeba didn't show any kind of intellectual powers, really. So can't count it. I'm um, saying zero, and we're stuck at nine.
0: Although it did have chromosomes, just like some of our listeners, but some of them probably don't have intellectual powers either. Actually, Dana, what I meant to say was we're the ones who are probably, you know, intellectually challenged, not our listeners. That's what I. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> <laughs> violation of the Prime Directive.
1: Well, if this thing was a sentient being and was trying to just make its way through the universe, then I would say yes. But I don't think it was a sentient being. I think it was just an organism moving through space that uh, was swallowing whatever was in its way.
0: I agree with you. I don't think so. You know, it almost be like, well, I did have to spray my counter down with some Clorox. Did the bacteria I killed, is that, (laughs) should I have said to them, hey, you know, I'm about to spray down this counter. <laughs> Fair warning. I agree with you. I don't I don't think I don't think so. I didn't
1: look at it that way, but that's awesome. That's great. So Dan, zero this week. Uh we're still at seven.
0: Great. And then finally taking over the enterprise count.
1: Nope. Nobody took over the enterprise except for uh some bad acting. <laughs> This week we were at zero and the tally stands still at seven for that as well. Dana,
0: I really had a good time talking about this one. I, I had a lot of fun. We, you know, there was a lot of funny stuff that we talked about, but I really did like this episode.
1: Yeah, Dan, I, you know, we were talking about uh, our top 25, top 20 and stuff. I would put this one in my top 20. I like the drama. I like the the character development that goes on in here and the you know there's there's so much and again a non-human enemy so had quite a lot.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. So what's up for next week?
1: Dan, next week is a private little war.
0: All right, well I look forward to discussing that one. Once again, we would encourage our listeners to give us a call 509-676 6298, or send us an email or contact us on Facebook. We really love hearing what you have to say.
1: Dan, it's always fun to get together and talk about Star Trek. It's uh, one of the highlights of my week. Thanks for catching up with me again. Thanks to all our listeners for writing in and remembering that they have phones they can use to call us. <laughs> we look forward to getting some more phone messages next week, and thanks for those of you who have gone the extra mile and called in one or more than once already. Until we meet again, we long and prosper.
0: Thanks once again for listening to Damn It Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at damnitjimpodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com or join the discussion on Instagram, X, YouTube, or Facebook. Remember you can call us at 509-676-6298. Make sure to join Dana and Dan next week for A Private Little War. Until then, enjoy the rest of your week and remember to live long and prosper. This has been a Ramble Jar production.